Hello, I'm John Duffy, co-host of Consume This. Welcome back to part two of Cut and Chuck, where faulty goods go to die. In part one, we fitted GPS trackers to stand mixers from the warehouse, Kmart, and the brands Breville and Kenwood. just looks like the internals of a mixer. Around the same time, my Fisher & Paykel fridge broke down. So we also whacked one in there and named it Operation Icebox. You haven't even cleaned out your um, veggie tray, John. Well, that's for them to do. That's... The fridge hadn't broken. After creating some easily fixable faults in the mixers, we returned them. What's likely to happen to these that come back? If they're faulty, um, we just chuck them out and spin them off and they go out, yeah. Right. That was the sales assistant at Kmart. It turns out she was right. Within a couple of days, both the Kmart and warehouse mixers were sent straight to the nearest landfill and buried. No attempt at repair or recycling. No. <laughs> but you could probably... Um indicate pretty much where that spot is up there, wherever the tip face was on Friday. Where the tip face was on Friday, yeah. we'll know where that was and we can point it out roughly where it's buried. And that's where part one left off. Disappointed but not entirely surprised. The Breville and Kenwood mixers, they're still in circulation. Their fate is to be uncovered by our GPS trackers. But I'll give you an early spoiler. They both end up going on long road trips to different places. We have metal bins. The service provider for the collection of those bins is on Nielsen Street. And so this tracker might be stuck in one of the bins. Oh, it's got a GPS tracker in it. Oh, we'll find that pretty quick. So I'll show you where we where okay. we last got a signal. Yeah. Was it there? So we're in an industrial part of Seaview. The business at the rear is uh, what well, looks to be reclaiming parts. There's a fridge. There's a fridge. I was hoping that one of the guys from work hadn't thought they'd be cheeky and pinch a blimmin' um, dough mixer or something. <laughs> and they're driving back and forth. <laughs> I mean, Breville thinks it's going to landfill, but in reality, we aren't moving that to landfill. We're moving it through our contacts. After our initial flurry of excitement with the Kmart and warehouse mixers, things quietened down. Occasionally, the GPS app on my phone would ping a notification. Paul and Tom would run over excitedly to look but it always ended in disappointment. The mixers were being shunted small distances around the back room of the store. Paul was convinced it was employees moving them around the corner of the break room, irritated by their presence. He's probably right. With the deadline for this episode looming, we started to panic a little bit. Would we even have anything to report? The only comforting thing about this is that they didn't go straight to landfill. And by this point... We were pretty confident that that wasn't their fate. Kmart and the warehouse have already proved the rubbish system is efficient. It's highly unlikely farmers and briscoes would have stored the mixes for weeks, only to turn around and chuck them in the bin. If that was their destiny, they'd already be there. So, Project Mixer is on hold. It's not like we can storm into the store and demand they do something with the products. For now, it's out of our hands. So let's switch our focus back to Operation Icebox. After we fitted the tracker in the fridge, we waited some more. There's actually a lot of waiting in this episode. Fisher and Paykel contracted NGI Whiteware Limited to pick it up from my garage 
and do, well, something with it. We heard rumours of an Awamaru recycling centre, a place where Fisher and Paykel fridges go to die. Would it be taking a trip across the Cook Strait? I secretly hope so. It would be a great excuse for a South Island road trip. Exactly a week after fitting the tracker, the fridge moved. The ferry terminal is south of my house. But the fridge? Well, that headed north, upstate Highway 1 to a quiet residential street in Porirua. We were confused. Why was my broken fridge at a residential address? A quick Google stalk revealed it was a home address linked to the owner of MGI. Our theory was that this employee had picked the fridge up on their way home and it was sitting in the van, on their driveway, spending the night. But of course, that meant it was headed elsewhere. Maybe even on that ferry trip. Early the next morning, we were proved right. It headed back down State Highway 1. We should have been excited at the possibility it was heading back to the ferry terminal. Oamaru, here we come! But the team and I, well... We were all actually still asleep. By the time we made it into the office, the tracker had stopped. In Seaview. It might not be Oamaru, but it's less than half an hour from our office. So a few days later, we decided to go undercover. So here we are, we're approaching um, NGI Limited whiteware installers. There's a lot of whiteware out there. It certainly is. I can see a grey fridge that looks a lot like my fridge. I can also see a car pulling right up behind us and wanting to get past. Um, okay, well, well let's loop round and we'll turn around because I think we'll get a better view from the other side of the road. I should have warned you, I'm not that good a driver, by the way. We've worked that out for <laughs> ourselves, Tom. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Well, as undercover as you can be when you're three bearded gentlemen holding up traffic and waving about massive microphones. We couldn't see that much from the car, so we parked up and decided to risk a walk-by. On, I think we're on Port Road, are we? We are on Port Road, yeah. Yeah, we're about 200 metres away from the um, uh, facility where we think that my old fridge is at. We were trying to look as inconspicuous as possible. As I mentioned earlier, that's not an easy task. And yeah, we're just walking past the back of the, the warehouse now. It's full of fridges and ovens. There's a couple of chips beavering away, looking like they're dismantling um, appliances. But no one paid us any attention. On reflection, I don't actually know why we were trying to be sneaky. I seriously doubt many whiteware installers are looking out for rogue podcasters. We're not exactly the spooks. We almost, you know, we could almost have a look through this window. Perhaps see it. There are... Uh, um, it might be yours, John. Too small, I reckon. No, the one behind it. Oh yeah, yes. The one behind it looks like it's about that sort of size. I agree. That looks like my fridge, yes. Emboldened by our success and convinced we were now undercover experts, we decided to walk back to the car through the MGI yard to get a closer look. Again, it's worth pointing out that we were carrying large microphones and talking loudly. We weren't undercover experts. MGI... Well, they were just too busy doing their jobs to care about us. There's two guys out there, two reasonably elderly guys, um, taking apart an oven I think they were working on at the time, but yeah. just stripping parts out and loading them into the back of a ute. Um, what they're going to do with those, I don't know. What struck me as we walked past was 
yeah it's an old dude with a screwdriver pulling it up it's quite a manual process it's, this isn't at all automated so I guess the that suggests to me the costs of actually reclaiming these parts if you take labour into account must be quite high I'm just surprised they're even dismantling stuff I assumed this was a staging area where they collect locally and then they send this down to um, a bigger place that can actually process this stuff efficiently but I'm guessing um, this is the end of the line for your fridge so, mystery solved. Our fridge was in a queue, waiting to be dismantled and reclaimed for parts. Or so we thought. But for the next eight weeks, nothing happened. Paul cycled past a few times to check in on it, and every time, well, there it was, sitting in the same spot. If MGI were going to dismantle it, they were clearly not in any rush. Then, finally, after eight weeks, just before the deadline for this episode, we got a notification on the GPS app. There was movement. Yeah, so I don't know how accurate the tracker is. It's, it's obviously not right there, because that's outside in the middle of nowhere. We'll come back to Operation Icebox soon. But first, let's check in with our mixers. The Breville mixer was the first to go. It left Briscoe's on a Friday and spent the weekend in... Would you believe it? Seaview. A weekend ride pass by Paul confirms that it's in a New Zealand post depot. We don't have to wait long to find out where it's headed. Overnight on Monday, it heads up to Auckland, finally being deposited at an address in East Tamaki, which we trace to Appliance Outlet. A quick scan of their website reveals that they sell repaired and refurbished appliances. From amongst other brands, Breville. If it gets repaired, we'll put that down as a success. Great work by Breville. Over the next two weeks, Paul kept a diligent eye on the appliance outlet website. Eventually, they list a Breville stand mixer. In an attempt to buy it back and close the circle, he pounces. But the mixer that turns up isn't ours. They list another one a couple of weeks later. But again, it's not ours. The tracker shows it's still sitting in the warehouse. Appliance outlet, a good value, but at this point... We banned Paul from buying any more mixes. The basement is filling up and the bank account is emptying. Instead, producer Tom arranged a video call with Michael Lovell, repair expert and general manager of Appliance Outlet. Okay, working this time. I explained our story and that we could see the mixer sitting in their warehouse. Oh, it's got a GPS tracker in it. We'll find that pretty quick. (laughs) You know what? I'll take you for a walk down and I'll show you and you'll understand because it's, you'll probably spot it on the shelves waiting. Can I flip that camera? And the answer is yes, he could flip the camera. And with that, we were off down the winding corridor and into the belly of Appliance Outlet, on a hunt to find our mixer. While we walked through the building towards the warehouse, we explained that the fault was extremely easy to fix, convinced that that would be a bit unusual. You'd be surprised how many come back like that, though. So much stuff comes back that is just uh, user error. Like so many products, and especially the big retailers like Harvey's and Knowles and that, a customer will come in and say, this is faulty. Well, they, they don't care. They don't want to muck around with it and test it. They know they're getting a credit from Breville, so they just give you another one and they, they get their credit. So we end up getting a lot of product back that isn't really faulty. Here's an example. We got a OLED TV the other day, four $5,000 TV customer had returned it saying the screen was cracked it was just the plastic protective film on the front of it a lot of the 
small appliances are usually genuinely faulty, like toasters, kettles and that. They're just about always faulty. Coffee machines, it's the entry-level coffee machines that are usually user error because people are like, oh, I want to buy a coffee machine. They'll buy, Of course, they're going to buy the cheapest one they can because they don't know anything about it. And then they don't know how to use it. They expect, literally expect a barista to pop out of the box and hand them a coffee. And when they don't get coffee like that, they get grumpy and return them to the store. And again, I spoke to Breville about that and mentioned, she said, yeah, we don't care. We sell so many, it doesn't matter. So if I've understood correctly, what Michael's really saying here is that the waste is built into the business model. A former Breville service manager we spoke to confirmed they expect anything up to a 5% return rate on faulty items. That's one in every 20 products sold. At this point, we entered the warehouse. So you can see that, can't you? We could see it. And we suddenly realised why Paul's attempt to buy our mixer back had been so fruitless. So that's one Breville area. More Breville down the back there, taking up the back wall. There are literally thousands of appliances waiting to be repaired. So you can see that area of the warehouse alone is just Breville product that's waiting to be processed. The shelves are full and there are even more boxes stacked up on the floor. That's another Breville area. That's where your mix is going to be down there. It's clear, even with the GPS signal, we're going to need some help. Abe, we're looking for a Breville mixer with a GPS tracker in it. Abe is a repair technician. He heads off down another aisle to join in the search. Good work, buddy. But ultimately, it's Michael himself who strikes mixer. On the floor, in front of the pallet rack, he spies a box. That's from Masterton. This is probably your one here. It says, doesn't turn on, looks in good condition. Ah, Bay, Ah, Bay, can you just try that one, please? Pop the base off. And with that, Abe undid the base of the mixer, and there was our tracker. It took him another 30 seconds to connect the wire, and that was it. The circle was complete. Oh, yeah, definitely. So it's going to go out into our showroom. But the thing is, it's not just on the floor. It's on Trade Me. It's on the website. It's on um, Price Me and a lot of those other places as well. Before we let Michael go, I wanted to know more about the economics of this operation. Specifically, how appliance outlets deal with Breville Works. Michael found a quiet corner of the office and we got into it. Hmm. Um, I mean, we, we support ourselves to the most extent. We've managed to negotiate some stuff with Breville this year to get a bit more marketing material out of them and that. And they have no issue with it. They're, they're quite happy to support us because they've got no one else without us. So if, if we pulled the plug on them today, Breville would be looking for a landfill and a very, very big landfill. So that the, we do have a little bit of negotiating power with Breville. And another thing with the meeting we had with Breville about two, two or three months ago now, even Breville themselves had no idea how much stock of theirs we're sitting on. And they said what they were going to do after that was go and raise the cut and chuck dollar limit for the stores around the country so that they could do more without it coming back to us. Cut and chuck is the policy of cutting the cord off a product and throwing it in the bin. It's the Kmart and warehouse approach. But Breville, it turns out, are also taking this approach to some extent. 
If you return anything that costs under about $200, then Breville's policy is to cut and chuck. It's, it comes in quicker than we can process it. And Breville thinks it's going to landfill, and I, I push that back on them to try and get more out of them to deal with it. But in theory, in reality, we aren't moving that to landfill. We're moving it through our contacts. The only saving grace for that is our contract with Breville that says we don't pay for it until we sell it. But the one thing that we've really picked up from Breville is that when the product gets here, as far as they're concerned, that's the end of the line. It, it, it has hit the landfill as far as Breville USA is concerned, and it's called appliance outlet. What we do with it after it's here, they don't really care about as long as it doesn't end up in places they don't want it to end up in. Those places include stores that compete with the retailers selling brand new products. That's why you don't find an appliance outlet on every high street. The manufacturers, well, they just don't allow it to happen. Talking to Michael, it's clear that his main limiting factor is the demand for refurbished products. He's allowed to sell them via his own store, their website, of course, and their Trade Me store, but if they were allowed to sell wholesale, say, for example, to second-hand stores, he'd be able to rescue far more from the landfill. If Breville had their way, it would all be in landfill. We circumvent that the ways we do. Because, uh, I mean, it's just not right. If I had to find a figure, I would probably say no more than 10 to 15% would end up in a skip. For those appliances where it's not economical to recycle or refurbish, they've developed a novel way of keeping them out of the landfill. We actually have a little space at the back of the shop where we put that product now, and there's quite a little community of scrap bin divers, I think you call them and stuff, that come around at night time and take it all away. So it's going for a, a kind of a recycling process there as well. These guys, some of them strip that out. They'll get all the copper out. They'll recycle them down to those components. Others try and fix them and resell them themselves. We cut the cords off all that sort of stuff, and we make them as inoperable as we can just for electrical safety. But there's, there's quite a little community. of There's about six to eight guys that come around here at night time. It's in a point now where they're quite respectful. They'll just take what they need. They don't leave a mess or anything anymore. So it works quite well. That's the main thing I got from our conversation with Michael at Appliance Outlet. They're a team of people who are really dedicated to repairing, reusing and minimising waste. This is the way it should be done. Kmart, warehouse, take note. That just leaves our Kenwood mixer unaccounted for. Several weeks after being returned... It was still being shunted around in farmers. It was getting closer and closer to our deadline. We were starting to worry. We didn't think it was going to move in time. Then something unexpected happened. The icebox moved again. After uh, <clears throat> a successful undercover trip, we thought it had reached its final destination. It looked set to be dismantled, stripped for parts and recycled at MGI in Seaview. But here it was, on the GPS tracking screen, heading up State Highway 2 towards Upper Hutt. It ended its journey at a 100% New Bulbs Clearance Centre, a second-hand and refurbished white goods centre. Surely my fridge wasn't going to be repaired and resold. The compressor was broken. That's a major fault. Even Paul at his most optimistic wasn't expecting repair. And then bam, COVID finally caught up with me. While I was locked away in isolation... Paul and Tom went up to investigate 
what was going on. We're in a car park outside 100% New Bolds. On one side is the new appliance store, or the back of the new appliance store that fronts onto the main street. On the other side is the warehouse with the big red New Bolds door and three or four shipping containers outside, and we assume are filled with appliances. It's absolutely tipping it down with rain. Um, we're here to see Darren, who's the uh, manager of the store, um, and we want to go and find our fridge. So let's go inside and see if we can find both of those. What Paul didn't tell you was that they were actually also standing next to a 100% New Bulbs van with a massive photo of Darren's face on it. With that image burnt into their brains, they managed to locate him pretty quickly behind the main counter in the store. Just looking for Darren? Oh, hey, Darren. Hey, Darren. Uh, Tom from Tom. and Paul. Paul. Hey, Paul, how are you? Good to meet you. Excellent. After explaining the trackers... Yeah, so I don't know how accurate the tracker is. So that's what it... It's, it's obviously not right there, because that's outside in the middle of nowhere. And showing him the GPS app... Yeah, so that's out the back there. Yeah. They were off again. So we're going into the um, used appliances... Yep, so this is a repair house. The store. Yeah. Lots of stuff. So, uh, would it be one of these? Be your fridge. Might well be that one in the middle. It didn't have an ice... It didn't have a water thing on the front. Yeah, could be that. So it could well be that one. Um, if you give it a wobble, the tracker might move. It's a good idea. I don't know how sensitive the tracker is, but if not, it's in there. So if we could take out a couple of shelves yep. and Let's pull that out, I'll see if I can see it in there. So, um, so if this has been condemned, then um, potentially it might have a fault that can't be fixed. So it'll be scrapped for parts, sort of thing. Right. Or, or um, recycled. That yes, it wasn't yep. worth fixing. So, so we, we wouldn't fix this, but um, they'd, they'd give it to us uh, and we'd keep the shelves and the doors and, um, you know, so it would be, would be essentially not worth repairing right. or fixing or selling, you know. And that was the mystery solved. My fridge's journey has taken four months. It's travelled from my garage in Wellington up to Porirua taken an extended break in Seaview, and finally ended up at 100% new bulbs in Upper Hutt, where it's become an organ donor. It'll sit there for many more months, slowly being stripped apart to extend the life of its other fridgy friends. There was just one thing left to understand. Why was the fridge at MGI for so long, only to end up here? When we went undercover, it was clear that MGI also have a part stripping and recycling set up. Well, as it turns out, Darren and Chris, who owns MGI, are friends. Basically, MGI was too busy to strip the fridge down, so we gave it to 100% new bulbs instead. No money changed hands. You know, we know we've known him for years, and he'll just say, "Hey, you guys, we're scrapping this. You can have the bits off it, and we we just take the parts." So, so because it's a condemned one. It's um, one we can't resell, but we can certainly get the bits off. So it's not really worth anything. It's just two guys passionate about giving faulty appliances a second life and keeping them out of the landfill. I mean, yeah, so we, we share things and, you know, if he needs a shelf for a specific fridge, he comes to sees us and, and vice versa. Kind of a, using the things that have been scrapped for another, you know, another life, really. So yeah. At this point, we're nearing the end of our investigation. Only our most expensive mixer, the Kenwood, is left in circulation. We'd almost given up on it. But then, it moves. Zipping up to Auckland, where it spends the night next to the airport. Kenwood is distributed in Aotearoa by DeLonghi, an Australian company. Was our mixer going across the ditch? 
No. A couple of days later, it finally moved. It moved to Computer Recycling, an e-waste recycling centre. We arranged a call with the managing director, Patrick Moynihan. What we do, and I, I better not say the company name, so we have a relationship with an Australian manufacturer, and this is where this came from, and you, you can piece the names together, but I just don't want to say it. <laughs> I think we can safely assume this is DeLonghi. They have a return scheme. They will return, I should say it would be about three to 400 units every three to four weeks. That would be returned for one reason or another. And we then collect it, and it's our mandate or our uh, contractual arrangement to destroy them all. Destroying, in this case, actually means recycling. We'll unbox them. We'd take metal out. That metal would go to aluminium recycling. The polystyrene should, in theory, go to these big bulker bags that we take to a polystyrene recycler. Cardboard goes to cardboard. The uh, consumer electronics, we won't test them because we're not allowed to. If we're told that they cannot be remarketed or re-engineered or repaired, then, then we'll destroy them. Computer recycling is home to the blue box. It's a giant blue conveyor belt and shredder. After the e-waste is shredded, it's sorted into its various components for recycling. Now this is the bare minimum. There's no excuse for any company to be sending anything to landfill rather than somewhere like computer recycling. But there's a reason they don't. It's more expensive. Uh, well, we would charge that company a, a transport fee. So if we send a truck, there would be a fee of $40 a pallet or something like that to bring it back to our depot. Usually there will be an associated cost. Uh, let's say there's 10,000 kilos we might recover 20 cents a kilo in material value, but it costs 35 cents a kilo in handling fees because it's a very manual process in terms of deboxing and you know, cutting the cardboard and chopping the cables and that sort of thing. From a commercial standpoint, it adds another layer of complexity. They don't legally have to do it. That's where we differ a lot in New Zealand. You know, there's no regulation or legislation. So, like overseas, you would pay into a product stewardship fund. The Kenwood has been shredded and recycled Better than landfill But a long, long way off repair Maybe 4 out of 10 So, now we're at the end of our journey Let's recap the Project Mixer Repairability League table At the bottom Are Kmart and the warehouse They made no attempt to investigate the faults Instead, opting to cut and chuck our brand new mixes. Holding up the mid-table, it's Kenwood. Recycled, but not repaired. And sitting pretty, 10 points clear at the top of the league, Breville and Appliance Outlet. They took our mixer, repaired it, and resold it. At a price that's comparable to the cheap Kmart and the warehouse brands. This is how the system should work. Next time you're looking for a new toaster, kettle, a TV, a coffee machine, whatever it is, take a look at Appliance Outlet and places like it. Not only will you be able to get yourself a deal, but you'll also be giving a second life to something that would otherwise be destined for the landfill. We all have the power to use our money to vote for the world we want. That's what being a consumer 
in modern New Zealand really means. The most shocking slash not shocking thing about our investigation is that the manufacturers don't actually care. Their job is to make and sell more new appliances. Even those that do the right thing only achieve it by dumping their products on hard-working third parties who do everything in their power to reuse and recycle. They're not going to change on their own. We need to tell them that isn't acceptable anymore. There are three pieces of legislation that we need to fix our e-waste problem. They're not novel, and they've all started to be adopted in other parts of the world. Firstly, we need to adopt a product stewardship scheme that forces manufacturers to take responsibility for their products and the end of those products' lives, and crucially, stops them from going to landfill. The government is currently working on this with more information expected this year. Secondly, a right to repair. This legislation would force manufacturers to provide spare parts and repair guides. Some manufacturers are already doing this, but the practice is not particularly common. The goal here is to make it more cost-effective to repair than to cut, chuck and replace. Thirdly, durability labelling. A durability rating would be based on how long an appliance is expected to last and how easy it is to repair. Currently, when you walk into a shop and compare two products, it's almost impossible to know which one will last a year and which one will last 10 years. Price is the best comparator that we have, and of course, that's completely susceptible to manipulation by manufacturers. This has to change. It might seem like a tough ask, but this system already exists in France. If the French can do it, why can't we? Here at Consumer NZ, we'll keep pushing for these regulations. But in the meantime, we'll also be updating our independent product reviews with information on durability, reliability and repairability. It's a long journey, but with your support, we're committed to getting there. You've been listening to Consume This, hosted by me, John Duffy, and guest starring Consumer NZ's product test manager, Paul Smith. This episode was produced by Tom Rith-Smith. The executive producer was Gemma Rasmussen. Consume This is produced by Consumer NZ. We're a small, not-for-profit, supported by our members. For more information about the benefits of becoming a member or how you can support us, check out the Consumer NZ website or follow the link in the show notes. See you later. Hello, I'm Abby Darman and I work in the campaigns team at Consumer New Zealand. I want to tell you about some of the exciting work we're doing here at Consumer New Zealand. Right now, literally, as we speak, we are working really hard to keep big businesses and our lawmakers in check. So we're currently engaged in taking on unfair retirement village contracts, misleading supermarket pricing and dodgy green claims. To keep up this good work, we need to raise $50,000 before the 24th of September. So please, if you can, help us to help others by heading to consumer.org.nz forward slash donate. Thanks so much.